Hi everyone, future Lainey up top, with a disclaimer. Although this episode is chock full of laughter and jokes, there is some disturbing content. You will receive a warning further into the episode to skip the worst of it. But if you're easily scared, please listen to this episode in broad daylight in a safe space. It's all Audrey's fault. Episode 45 of If These Walls, in which we talk about the boogeyman, is best paired with the boogeyman drink. One part E&J brandy, two parts Mountain Dew. Enjoy alone, in the dark, and chase away those demons by jamming out to bury a friend by Billie Eilish. Hey, Audrey, what's up? Audrey? Hello? Gonna kill you. Audrey, they, they caught the Golden State Killer. You can kiss my butt. Aww, you're right. And fuck you, Joseph D'Angelo. But you were scared for a minute there. I peed myself. Welcome to If These Walls, a storytelling podcast. A storytelling podcast where if there isn't a button written, we add one on ourselves. I felt right. It feel right. A storytelling podcast about the parts of history and culture that make us more human and define our own world and lives. I'm Audrey. That's Elena. And oh, oh my God. Elena, what is that? Stop it. At first it felt right. Now it just feels cold in my pants. Each week, we will both share real stories and tell tales, famous, infamous, or unknown, that fall under our interpretations about a specific theme. This week, Audrey has chosen the boogeyman to scare the crap out of me. Or to peace. Hey, Audrey, why this now? Okay, well, <laughs> as you... What an unexpected question. I'm so glad you asked it. <laughs> yeah. As you know, dear Elena and everyone else listening, I have been a little busy, a little focused on some pressing projects at work mixed with moving in the middle of a pandemic and my usual underlying existential dread. And in addition to maybe cultivating a mild dairy allergy, my body is having some responses to the stress especially at night. I'm so sorry. Me too. Night after night, I've had the most vivid stress dreams. Everything from teeth falling out to fights with friends, missing my cue for a show that I am also not fully memorized on and I'm missing costume pieces for, and poorly organized field trips with a combination of coworkers, celebrities, and high school classmates. You familiar with that one? Does anyone else have that one? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> It's always on a school bus. I don't know why. I haven't stage managed a show for like six years and I still have nightmares where I forget to push the go button. So it's, 
It's so, I just hate that there's usually for like a very boring production. Like for some reason, the the recurring one as of the past two years has been a unwritten musical production of Our Town. <laughs> and I have a very tertiary role in it. And like two opportunities to be on stage. And I always miss the first one. And it's like, but this was the memorial production. But it's like, who died? Why is this the memorial production? And why am I in it? And I well, never have answers to that question. I mean, maybe they didn't give you a very big role because they knew you would fuck it up. Okay. And <laughs> wasn't expecting a cut that deep. It would have brought my Neospore in. I didn't plan for that. Anyway, every single night this has happened and every morning I wake up just about as tired as when I went to sleep and I lay in bed for the first 10 minutes of my day thinking about how many emails I need to send to effectively cancel everything I need to do that day. It's not great, but I'll take stress dreams any day over the worst alternative. Nightmares. What is it that makes something distinctly scary and not just stressful? A fear of failure can make you sweat, but a fear of mysterious inhuman figures going bump in the night triggers a bone-aching flight or fright response that is distinctly human. Fun me fact, I'm a runner. But before the sponsorship offers come in from Nike, I should clarify, I'm technically a short-distance sprinter. I sprint the distance from my bathroom to my bed at night when there is no way to light the path between the two. I sprint from the moment I turn off the last light in the basement until I've made it to the top of the stairs. I've tripped multiple times. Sometimes, if I'm feeling a particular way, I'll sing Jesus Loves Me out loud while doing it. I am not kidding. That wasn't a joke. This has been the case for as long as I've had basements and the ability to go to the bathroom by myself and will likely continue to be the case until I die. Because, ladies and gentle them, I've seen The Boogeyman. <laughs> the Boogeyman is a figure that solves more than one problem. They're an external cause to blame for any upsetting physiological happenings in adults. They're also a device to get your kids to shut up and listen, wash behind their ears, come home in time for dinner, and to stay in bed at night. Both of these solutions have created a new problem for me. <laughs> They're the reason I don't sleep with open doors and will never be satisfied with a curtain closed closet. It's why I still don't stand too close to my bed when putting away my laundry. These sweet ankles are too tempting. Very nice. I don't want to risk a grabbing. Goya's 1797, Que viene el cuco, literally, here comes the boogeyman, or the boogeyman is coming, depending on how you want to translate. The painting depicts darkness, a mother alone saving her children from what exactly? It's a guy wrapped in some linens. Did dad lose a wrestling match with a fitted sheet? Well, if you're familiar with el cuco, the fate that awaits the children is traditionally being stuffed in a bag, boiled, and having their fat rendered for El Cuco's skincare regimen. Really helps with mask knee, which I have a lot of right now. If you could see my chin. Do you have mine are just ingrown hairs, but still the rendered fat of the young really does a number. Mm hmm. 
But linens aside, what does El Cuco, Baba Yaga, the boogeyman look like? There are two realms we're going to explore today to get a better look under the sheet, the physical and the subconscious. Both have played their role in shaping the beasts of folklore and to better understand how we as a species have collectively decided a humanoid monster is lurking in the shadows while we sleep. We need to take a look at both as separate entities. Here we go. It's time for cultural anthropology. Copyright pending. (laughs) Regardless of religious beliefs, every culture has a named being out to ruin your sleep. In Italy, it appears as a witch, a ghost, or sometimes a cat-slash-human hybrid. They call it a pandafeche, and it's delicious with bolognese. (laughs) You can place a broom beside the bedroom door, and it's supposed to help ward this thing off. In Newfoundland, it's known as the old hag. Okay, that's just sexist. Okay, there is something distinctly feminine about a lot of some of these folklorish... depictions okay and i think it speaks to an inherent fear in men and i think it's rightly placed there i said it you're probably right in brazil the pisadera is described as a crone with long fingernails who lurks on roofs at night and tramples the chest of those who sleep on a full stomach with belly up a very specific set of circumstances that birthed the classic saying, if lightly you sup, then sleep belly up. But if you eat all, sleep in the feet all position. Did you make that up? I did. I'm a poet. (laughs) What if you sleep like an asshole on your stomach, but have like your like right knee, like basically touching your nose? I believe that that is the diagram when they show you how to how to insert a suppository on your own. <laughs> Lay on your on it your is. back. It is. It That's really exactly is. what that is. <laughs> so if you're looking to take a piece of rectally and you need to supposit it in your deposit box, <laughs> then yeah, sleep on your back like an asshole with your one knee up towards you. <laughs> Good job. It's great for the spine. That might these, be the reason I have hip problems. <laughs> and these suppository demons. These represent a small sample of the many folkloric interpretations of sleep paralysis. A parasomnia or sleep disorder in which a person is fully awake and aware but cannot move or speak. And when I was growing up, I dealt with this bullshit on a nearly weekly basis. We have talked about this before at length. Not on this podcast, on a podcast of old, and then just personally. Anyone who knows me or has known me for more than five drinks and a conversation has heard me talk about sleep paralysis. And then in the sad case of many people I know who have never experienced it personally will have this conversation with me and then be gifted with it. So sorry to everyone who has some trouble sleeping over the next few nights. I just have to get this quite literally off my chest. We won't dwell on it long though. It's just a piece of the pie that is the boogeyman story. She'll sing Jesus loves me at the end so that you feel better. Sleep paralysis is distinct from nightmares, but the two do share an etymology. 
The old English word mare denoted an oppressive spirit that sat upon the chests of sleepers, hence the suffocation. Cultural anthropologists and whatever other scientists look into this specific thing espouse that the nightmare we, as we know it was inspired by sleep paralysis. Or that when human brains cobble together a scary story to tell themselves, it's been based on the experience that an individual has felt or heard about associated with sleep paralysis. Bananas, right? Yeah. These experiences typically include the perception of a sinister presence, vivid hallucinations, and a feeling of suffocation. Some people may even feel a sense of impending death. And when the body experiences this phenomenon, the mind races to create a story to justify this feeling. And historically, it will consistently grasp at one of three unique straws. Very briefly, there are three types of demons of sleep paralysis. Do you need a handhold? I don't have one for you. Nope. You can you can probably grab that one coming out of your closet right now. <laughs> are you paying attention, listener? You are now. Okay. <laughs> there are three types of demon of sleep paralysis. That is to say that a vision that you will have will fall into one of these three buckets. The child, typically located around the foot of your bed, sometimes the side of your bed, the hag in the corner of the room, and the smiler or the stranger who is right up in your effing face. Forgive me if you get into this and just tell me to wait. Is the bent neck lady the hag in the corner? She is. <sighs> she very much is. And I lo- I don't get into this specifically later. We will get into later cultural representations like modern day. Um but I do love in season one of Haunting of Hill House, they do a great job of crafting boogeymen based on their source, essentially. And the Bent Neck Lady is a yeah. beautiful example. We've plugged that show <laughs> so much, but it's so I good. Just, I just want to uh, plug Victoria Pendretti, and I didn't mean that the way it sounded. <laughs> <laughs> I want to plug her too. But yeah. I really, I appreciate her, her presence, her face, her acting, and the general oomph that comes with her. Okay. Mm-hmm. Each of these three representing, in order, a fear of inadequacy or failure, the child, um, failure slash shame, I need to specify that. Uh, the hag in the corner is a fear of authority or discipline slash guilt. Shame and guilt are two different things. Brene Brown, look it up. And finally, the smiler slash the stranger, a fear of the future slash the unknown. It covers a unique part of the subconscious that could possibly rationally explain the suffocation and feeling of doom that the body is experiencing during a bout of the old sleep paralysis. I've seen them all. I hate them all, and because of them, I notoriously preferred sleeping on couches with a high back and a TV and every light on as a child. And by child, I mean well into college and after college. It is a known fact that every night in 2012, I fell asleep to 1997 Academy Award-winning classic As Good As It Gets. There are arguably two villains in this film, Germs and Skeet Ulrich, and I felt okay about my odds fighting either. And I would go ahead and argue that uh, Skeet Ulrich and Germs, I mean, kind of the same thing. He just seems like a dirty individual. Am I wrong? Y'all Skeet Skeet, motherfucker. <laughs> when looking at the personality traits of the boogeymen, 
The culturally unique monster is not necessarily limited to nighttime or a Judeo-Christian hell origin. Those traits are also most easily divided into three categories. The kind that punishes misbehaved children, the kind that are more prone to violence, and the kind that protect the innocent. They all relate in the same way, being that they all exist to teach young children lessons. The large majority of boogeymen are there to just frighten children with punishments and not actually inflict much damage. The more vicious boogeyman is said to steal the children at night and even eat them. The last category is the boogeyman who protects people and only punishes those guilty, regardless of age. I don't need another theme song. We already had one for cultural anthropology, but it's art history time. Gather around, children. Insert sound effect. That was a great sound effect. Thanks, future Lainey. Thanks. Always gets it right. For those folks following the podcast on Instagram at If These Walls Pod, this week I'm dropping works from two painters whose muses have been the macabre. Henri Fusilli a Swiss painter whose range of works up to and including my all-time number one favorite oil painting, The Nightmare, depicts a plethora of ooky spooks rooted in Christian lore and hands down the most widely recognized portrayals of sleep paralysis. I am also going to be dropping works from your boy Francisco de Goya, a 19th century Spanish painter who smeared the walls of his final home with a private collection of, quote, black paintings including the famously horrific Saturn. You know, that one where that tall, skinny, crazy guy is eating his kid head first. But Goya goes so far as to name the beast. The depiction in Goya's Que Viene el Coco literally means here comes the boogeyman. This monster is unique from Fuseli's The Nightmare. Uh, in Goya's image, there's no bed in sight. A woman clutches two terrified children while all three reel back from a standing mystery figure who could be there for any of them. While the physical description of the boogeyman differs on a cultural level, there are often some shared similarities to the creatures. Many of the boogeymen are depicted as having claws, talons, and sharp teeth. Along with that, the majority of them are of the spirit variety, while the minority are demons, witches, and other legendary creatures. Some are even described to have certain animal features, such as horns, hooves, and bug-like appearances. The Mothman, Wendigo. The number of these figures have provided enough fodder to keep the WB series Supernatural going for 15 seasons. That's a long time. 357 episodes of Dean and Sammy shooting their salty buckshot. Entendre absolutely intentional. Yeah, yeah. There's two things fueling that show. Horror and a whole lot of hot damn. <laughs> Everyone on that show is attractive. Everyone on that show is very attractive. Have you seen a single episode of Supernatural? No. I no. I actually, I, I do need to recommend it. I do need to recommend it. I was forced to watch seasons one through three. And I will say I, Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles are charming. Their dad is Jeffrey Dean Morgan, or shall I say daddy? It's delightful. Never seen it, but when I was home cleaning out my old uh, like boxes of memorabilia and stuff from high school, college time, um, I found all of my X-Files trading cards collection. How long were you 
you into X-Files? The whole time. The whole time. The whole the whole time. The whole time. No, I probably I probably started watching it like a couple years after it started. I was like in middle school and then I stuck with them till the end. It's coming back though, right? Well, it came back in many forms. Yeah, it did come back. I actually didn't finish watching the ones that came back. Well, you weren't with it. I think it they did two the seasons. Way. I know. I oh, love okay. them. Anyway, all these cultural boogeymen like the figures of sleep paralysis take their shape as a means of creating a body that we associate with fear. They're tales to keep kids out of the woods, to behave, to not have carefree roles in the hay at summer camp. Or in some cases, it's a word we can use to protect ourselves, to give an otherworldly explanation to the very real monsters that we fear most. (laughs) By November 1934, 10-year-old Grace Budd had been missing for six years. There had been no promising clues or developments regarding her disappearance. That is, until her mother, Delia Flanagan Budd, received an anonymous letter. Oh, God. Dear Mrs. Budd, it read, On Sunday, June the 3rd, 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15 St. Brot. St. Uh, <laughs> West 15th Street. Brought you pot cheese, strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her. The strawberries weren't enough? The pot cheese wasn't enough. Thus began a long winding message to a distressed mother from an older, seemingly gentle man who had over the course of his life taken a dark path that began with childhood abuse and an early penchant for sadomasochism with rape, abduction, cannibalism, and among others, the description of Mrs. Bud's daughter being murdered and roasted in the oven. I needed a content warning for this one. I thought about it. You will get a content warning later. Okay. You will get a content warning later. I realize it doesn't help after the fact, but I was going to say it's really efficiently used after the fact. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry. So sorry. Born on May 19th, 1870 in Washington, DC to Randall and Ellen fish, Hamilton, Howard, Albert fish. <gasps> God damn it. There you go. I knew he was, uh, had many names, the Brooklyn vampire, the werewolf of Wisteria, the gray man, and the boogeyman. God, I should have known this is what I, okay. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I thought, I thought as soon as I said grace, bud, you'd know. Mm-mm. Okay. I don't, I don't particularly enjoy the Albert fish story. You shouldn't. And this is what <laughs> I'm about to go. No, 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 no. You are absolutely right in that. Even if you are a true crime fanatic listener there is something correctly incorrect about enjoying the albert fish story um so dear listeners i'm going to make a unprecedented request of you i'm going to claim that albert fish is the most despicable single human on record and i'm going to ask you to take me at my word without research uh, a favorite podcast of mine slash ours is the last podcast on the left with Marcus Parks, Ben Kissel, and Henry Zabrowski. They tackled the most upsetting people and events with great aplomb and some A++, if not totally historically inaccurate character work. Can't relate. 
If you are interested in getting more of a scoop on Fish's full life and crimes, last podcast on the left did a very thorough three-parter in 2016, where even they struggled to get through the details and pause to apologize and actually blame their audience for requesting the topic in the first place. Yeah. I recommend it because they really cover just about everything Every detail you need to know. And if you're going to swallow that content, you're going to need some humor to wash it down. Correct. I'm being very serious (laughs) about this. Um, There is one case for which I will provide some brief detail, if only because it's the case that first names Albert Fish, the boogeyman. Four-year-old Billy Gaffney had disappeared while playing with a neighbor in Brooklyn in February, on February 11th, 1927. That neighbor would later tell police that the boogeyman took Billy. Boy. The three-year-old boy described this boogeyman as a slender, elderly man with gray hair and a mustache. Can I just stop for a second? This this three-year-old didn't know what happened. They just know that a person came and took. And toddlers and dogs can sense evil. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 I because for all he knows, it was just a grown up. Like look at look at all of Charles Charles Schultz's ouvre. What are adults? Trombones with legs. You don't <laughs> register adults as a kid. But he saw Albert Fish and said, "That's a monster." Yep. And there was nothing about his outward appearance that really made him seem that way. Right. Um, yeah. At first, the cops didn't take the child seriously, but when they searched all over the neighborhood with no clues, they finally realized he had indeed been abducted and he was never seen again. After Fish's arrest for unrelated charges, a motorman on a Brooklyn trolley line came forward to identify him as, quote, the nervous old man he saw on the same day Billy had disappeared. Apparently, the old man was trying to quiet a little boy sitting next to him on the trolley who was crying for his mother. The man then dragged the little boy off the trolley, and Fish admitted to the kidnapping and murder of Billy in sickening detail. (sighs) Future Laney, please add a very disturbing next six sentences warning. Hi, everyone. This is Future Laney. I just would like to reiterate that the next six sentences are extremely disturbing. Please, and we will not judge you for this, feel free to skip ahead about 30 seconds. Thank you. I took tools, a good heavy cat of nine tails, homemade, short handle, cut one of my belts in half, slit these halves in six strips about eight inches long. I whipped his bear behind till the blood ran from his legs. I cut off his ears, nose, slit his mouth from ear to ear, gouged out his eyes. He was dead then. I stuck the knife in his belly and held my mouth to his body and drank his blood. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That might have been even creepier than what you just said, though. I said I sang that in a very creepy manner. I apologize. There's something when we're talking about boogeymen, there really is something about rhymes and songs that are so it's like little kids and anything rhyming is just little kids singing is the single most terrifying sound on the face of the earth. Two Freddy's coming for you. (laughs) 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 Three. There's a reason. 
And it's because all this shit lives in lore. And the only way kids can remember things is through song. What's Dora's best friend's name? Well, not Boots. I'm talking about the map. What does he do? He's the map. 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 So you know it now because it's a song and not because I said it eight times. Sadly, for the entirety of humanity, this daywalking, child-eating monster is not the only person who earned the title of the Big B. The following is an excerpt from the the Crime Enthusiast site. We are away from Albert Fish, by the way. Does this Um, require a future Laney disclaimer? uh, This one, no. There is sexual assault referenced. Okay. Trigger warning for sexual assault. Um, but we we aren't getting into anything near what we just did. Great. Okay. In March 1960, a 43-year-old mother and 14-year-old daughter in a fairly isolated cottage in the St. Martin Parish underwent a horrifying experience. The mother was awoken at about 12.30 a.m. by the telephone ringing downstairs. She went down to answer it. But when she lifted the receiver, heard nothing but a click and then the dialing tone. She went back to bed, but was awakened about an hour later by a sound downstairs. She started downstairs to investigate, but as she reached the bottom of the staircase, the lights abruptly went out and she heard someone in the living room moving about. In the dark, she made for the telephone to call for the police, but the phone lines had been wrenched out. Then she was confronted by the figure of a man who grabbed her and demanded money. He was very rough with her and threatened to kill her, but left the woman immediately when he heard the daughter coming down to investigate the commotion. The woman took the chance to flee and raise the alarm at a nearby farmhouse, and upon returning to the cottage, found her daughter. She was still alive, but had been horrifically raped in the now familiar signature. (sighs) commonly known as the beast of jersey edward Piesnell gave this name to himself in a letter he sent to police later called the real life boogeyman edward Piesnell was convicted for 13 counts of assault sodomy and rape though over 100 assaults have been attributed to him do you know how hard that is in jersey we're talking about the uk not not new jersey oh old jersey okay Old Jersey. Mostly cows. Were any Mostly cows in Old Jersey. Okay. <laughs> There's no Snooky. This is different place. Okay. No Jim Tan Laundry. No Jim Tan Laundry. Just cows, cows, cows. Where fish fit the boogeyman bill of eating children, the Beast of Jersey played psychological games, crept into rooms while victims slept, and stole them away into the night. At first, he targeted women at bus stops in the evening, either walking home or waiting. He would put a rope around their neck and force them by the neck to a nearby field where he would beat and rape them. But soon he started attacking older women and young boys. On the 14th of February, 1960, he broke into a boy's bedroom and watched him sleep. Terrifying. That alone. I'm sorry. That's, that is a day for me. In fact, maybe you should stop there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I warned everyone it was the Boogeyman episode. Okay. 
As soon as he awoke, Paisnell put a rope around his neck, forced him out through the window and into a nearby field where he then raped him. But his crimes alone didn't earn him the title of the Beast of Jersey, nor did him calling himself that. It was a fitting title. Unlike the mustachioed, bowler hat-wearing grandfather appearance that allowed Albert Fish to operate without suspicion, Edward Paisnell hid his face with another, the face of a monster. Predating Leatherface and just on the heels of amateur leather enthusiast Ed Gein, the Beast had hands down the most upsetting ensemble of any serial killer I've yet heard of. Underneath a wool cap was a matted black wig, a rubber mask that looked like if you melted a William Shatner mask to the point of Michael Myers, then accidentally left that mask on a hot stovetop for an extra hour. When Paisnell was caught, he was wearing his murderer uniform, a worn, long, woolen raincoat, mildewed, with nails through the shoulders and adorning the wrists to both contort the shape and fend off any potential defensive jabs. Between fables and modern headlines, Hollywood has not had a lack of reference sources for the creation of new and increasingly more terrifying boogeymen. Like Paisnell, the skin of the most current day closet monsters is either a deathly pale or an aged crackling leather. Dark shrouded figures with greased and matted twisted tendrils of black hair and spindly spiky protuberances protuberine from their worn and musty cloaks as they slither across the floorboards at night, creaking, rattling, rasping their way ever closer to those tiny little faces filled with fear in their beds, gasping dry, heaving breaths ever closer to innocent ears stuffed in vain with linen sheets. The final effort to shield a young mind from being altogether consumed with the certainty that this night will have no dawn. Are you scared? <laughs> you look, you look, you, know, you look like you're in a place. You know, like every night recently, because I also, I also have had my bouts with insomnia, but lately I've been falling asleep, like around nine, nine thirty, And I oh, wow. generally stay asleep for most of the night. And it's so delightful in my you know, asshole suppository position. <laughs> and just recently I was like, wow, it's been a while since I've like stayed up late and like watched a movie and like gone to bed late. And I was like, maybe I'll do that soon. I'll feel like, you know, kind of reckless. And now thank you. I won't be sleeping tonight. So I knew I was going to be cursing some people with this. Just think of it as me getting something off my chest so that you can carry it for me for a while. Thanks, Thank everyone. <laughs> she ain't heavy. She's my Audrey. You don't get Thank that you. Reference. That's not a fat crack at all. I do get the reference. Oh. <laughs> he ain't heavy. I actually do. Okay. Oh, that's not what I thought it was. I thought it was the Beatles. She's I so wasn't, heavy. I wasn't making a, any reference to it's a it's a positive thing, you see. Oh, I know. My muscle mass is getting up there. <laughs> I would be a terrible choice for Albert fish to eat. I'm very stringy now. I've got great muscle density. (laughs) Somebody tell the ghost of Albert fish that you cannot eat me. I'm not to your liking, even though there didn't seem to be, he, there was also, sorry, quick thing on Albert fish. He was, he was gross and terrible on so many ways, 
also ate poop. Yeah. Had a big thing for poop play. All right. We're done. Uh, (laughs) It's like, that's going into a whole other thing. But speaking of, okay, going into, speaking of shit, there have been some shitty film representations of the boogeymen. And when I say that, I mean, folks grasping at straws to try and create visuals and sentiments that scare folks for a dollar trying to say, okay, what's scary. So you look at something like Edward Pisnell and the beast of Jersey and the, and the shape that he created. And I will say, and I'll share this on our Instagram too, the shots of him. Cause when they took him in for a mugshot, they also got him like in the full getup is terrifying. Like if you have any, Anything that goes hebe and or GB in your body when you see an image of Michael Myers standing in a bush, get ready for the Beast of Jersey. It is terrifying looking. Now imagine waking up to that at 2 a.m. because people lived that experience. I'm going to a happy place where I'm trying to imagine a Beast of Jersey Halloween costume, but instead it is actually Snooky. It's actually the situation. <laughs> <laughs> couple's yeah. costume they don't let me wrestle no more i like it too much hello <laughs> i don't i don't know what he sounds like <laughs> i don't follow him that much but so we have those those physical representations of things that you know you don't want to see at night but when you go into film depictions specifically of boogeymen and i want to draw this line here we talked about it earlier there's sleep paralysis demons and then there's boogeymen Boogeymen, by and large, exist outside of religious references. They are on this celestial plane, and they have, like we discussed, an intention of either coming for children, coming for evil people specifically to right or wrong, or protecting the innocent. Or just like all-out malarkey, vicious, fuck fuck the world, eating everything. And I've seen, there's three specific actually four specific representations in film and or television that I want to lift up as I think being incredibly successful. Um, In addition to having some great cultural roots. Mm -hmm. First off being you love him, you know him. They are now going by them. It's gay icon, the Babadook. (laughs) (laughs) And here's why I want to lift up the Babadook. If you have seen that film, uh, Moi, love so much. Um, and this is going to be true of at least two of the four examples I'm I'm lifting up here. A good horror movie has to be a good movie, first and foremost, about yep. real human drama. And, right. and the Babadook succeeds in making a worst nightmare out of a worst nightmare situation. Have you seen the film? I have not seen any of these. Oh, that's beautiful. Do I want to give you spoilers? I don't care about spoilers in literally any sense. Okay. For those of you who have seen the Babadook, it is the classic um, trope of a single mom who is in either, I forget if the house is new or if it's their original house, but is raising a child who is seeing visions and having trouble adjusting. Her husband was recently killed in a car accident. And in this case, the Babadook is a representation of grief that's not being dealt with and depression. Mm -hmm. And like many other classic horror films with children's rhymes, um, there's a long poem that you read from the book that is, you know, the Babadook's coming. It's if it's in a word or it's in a book, you can't get rid of the Babadook. And when they go on throughout the rest of the poem, it is very much 
this physical manifestation of an inability to release and sadness and fearing looking something in the face because a, a, a whole thing is don't look at it or it's with you forever. Mm-hmm. And you do, it does reach a fair for as scary. And it is a scary film as scary as it is. It spends the majority of the time with this woman and, and tracing her grief. And there's so much to that, that makes it a good film to watch as opposed to just constant jump scares. But there are some good very rude jump scares in some of my least favorite places for there to be jump scares. Hmm. One in bed at night when you're holding a sheet over your face and two in a car in the middle of the day. That's a traffic hazard. Number two, the look-see shout out to my independent film series makers. The look-see originally came to me as a TV, not a TV, a YouTube TV series. And it is one of the most effective looking boogeymen that I've ever seen. This digs into the bucket of a leathery Slenderman-esque long fingers and literally jumping back to sleep paralysis, the smiler. Uh, just a giant eyeless smile face. Yes. For Because you, you get that thing when you watch horror movies of once I've seen the ooky spook, it's not that ooky spooky anymore. Yeah. It stays pretty spooky. Yeah. And that's a that's a tribute to the physical acting, which surprisingly I don't think it's Doug Jones, even though every monster is Doug Jones. Um and the cinematography and just just how they play out the scenes. But similar to the Babadook, the Luxy has a rhyme associated with it. If you yourself cannot release, then he will come and take a piece. This monster lives in the bucket of punishing the guilty. And if you are not giving up or admitting to like, if there's, there's one person who is like cheating on their spouse in their mind, that kind of adultery of the mind. Mm-hmm. So the look, see comes and takes off the top half of their head. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's something it's not, it's not one of those monsters where it's like, if it's not coming from me, then I can have an interaction with it in the hallway and be like, my look, see, it'll fuck you up if you're in its path. But it's not going to kill you unless it's coming for you specifically. Okay. I know. it, And it, it is a series. And it's hard to hold a horror series with one monster. Um, it's hard to carry it on. Again, prolonging that, that spooky scare. But I want to lift up that production team. I watched all of the first season of it. And it was scary. Hey, Audrey, I think I've gotten to the bottom of your sleep paralysis. Yeah. You need to watch The Nanny on HBO Max like I do, and you won't have these scary dreams. What kind of boogeyman is she? She's the nanny. Uh, <laughs> I can't I can't do it. I can't do her voice. Just did it. Phenomenal acting, though. Big fan. It, it really is. And everyone loves Fran Drescher. Um, okay, so there's those two. And then just two more that I want to shout out really quick. Uh, Netflix movie, His House. If you've not seen it, it's gotten great reviews. Uh, it's following a South Sudanese immigrant uh, couple who are in London attempting to settle. Solves a great question of any story. We've talked about this. Has to answer the question of why aren't these characters leaving the space? Mm-hmm. And that's especially true in horror films. Yeah. Specifically ones that, that seem to be a haunted house tale. Right. Of, well, why don't you just leave? Yeah. It's usually an economic issue, and this is partially economic, but it's also a you're under a trial period as a immigrant to the UK, and you will be sent back to yeah. the South Sudan in yeah. what they sh- depict as a very war-torn area specifically. 
is what they're escaping. And his house is rooted in an actual Dinka folklore boogie, boogeyman um, called the Apeth, which is a, a shaman who it's, it falls under the category of punishing people who have done wrong thieves specifically mm-hmm. it's he'll make himself appear like a, a man. And if you steal, it's like a trap. If you steal something from him, then he's going to latch onto you until he gets back. And it's always your life. It's always spoiler alert. It's always your life that he wants. Um, but that is one of my favorite. And also my first introduction to a um, African boogeyman that I've seen in modern film. Well, he's uh, snatching your life is he singing bon jovi's it's my life the looks he is not the apath he's a sydney's okay i actually like that though mm-hmm. and that was my high school graduation song thank you sorry go ahead i got very confused about when you graduated high school and then i remembered that song came out in like 2001 it was 2001 it was 2001 <laughs> yeah what a great year for music. I was in the Backstreet Boys Black and Blue came out. Came out. Just so everyone knows. Anyway. And finally, <laughs> finally, the HBO series, The Outsider. It's a Stephen King project. And if you are a fan or aware of Stephen King, you know that they're not all great and or perfect, but there are some stellar performances. Shout out to Cynthia Revo. And Ugh, I love her. I I really do. And this is different than anything else i have seen her do yeah yeah um and this specifically and they name el cuco and they show goya's depiction of que viene el cuco in the show when they're doing their research on the etymology of this beast that they're trying to find oh boy which takes on the completely malicious i feed on pain shape-shifting type of boogeyman traditionally depicted uh, by Francisco de Goya. You got any favorite boogeyman, Elena? No, because I wasn't sure what, f- I don't know what fits into this category. That's actually a great question to ask, though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have one. <laughs> Wait, I have one I kind of created when I was a kid that lived in my woods. Best kind, go for it. That's like I, a Wendigo. Go for it. I told the girls at a sleepover at my house that in the woods behind our house, which were like not dense, but they were, it was a wooded area, um, that there was a man that only had four fingers and there used to be a house back there and he killed the family inside and burned it down. And the only thing that was ever recovered was his glove with four fingers on it. I told these girls this at a sleepover at my house. I have no idea how old I was, but then I remember I couldn't sleep and I was so scared he was going to come down the chimney. Santa? (laughs) Yeah, why did he become Santa? I don't know. know. (laughs) When we slept in the living room and the living room had, like the curtains were drawn, I'm sure, but there was a big like floor to ceiling sliding glass door that opened Mm -hmm. to the woods. So like- it was a bad night for me. Nope, nope. But I, it was a bad night of my own making. But I just called him the four-fingered man. So, and what's interesting is I want to say that you created your, <laughs> your own guilt device there. 
Probably. Um, I created this to scare people. So he's coming for me because I created it to scare people. I'm sure I felt guilty about something else. Naturally, but like, yeah, (laughs) specific instance. I love the specificity there. I love that there's, there's a, a, what do you call it? A token? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to add it to my list to talk about with my new therapist. Would you be freaked out if you, if you, would you have a visceral response? If you met a person, as many people do on this earth, a four-fingered man, would you be like the four-fingered man? I would think about it, but I don't think I'd be scared. Kind of like how in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the witch saw Morgan Freeman was like the man with a painted face because he was coming to kill her. She saw it in her spit blood. Are you trying to make me scared of people with four fingers? I'm wondering if it was already there. What do you mean? I'm just, I'm just tap, tap, tapping at the door of your subconscious. What? Let me work through it in therapy, Audrey. Has that glove always had four fingers? (laughs) What's so funny is doing this over Zoom and knowing that like my eyeline is not matching up with whatever your reality is. I just squint at the screen and I could be looking I know, behind you. I know, but you, but I could, but then what if I look in the camera and I see it behind me? Ooh. Ooh. There's a door behind me. Someone's writing a fucking like a, a horror movie that takes place during this year of quarantine and it's a murderer that breaks in and he's, got a mask and people see him on the zoom. This is, uh, this is going to be on like Hulu or something. This is what I kind of want to leave everyone with, um, is if you are getting in a place where it's like, Oh, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know how to come down with, come down from this. Similar to me suggesting that you absorb your Albert fish material. If you want it that bad, you shouldn't, there's no need. It won't improve your life any, but if you do seek out a source that is a getting the facts, right? Always. And be serving it to you with a dose of humor because you aren't meant to carry this feeling with you all the time. You need to have two sides to it. That's why I love horror movies that have a wink and a nod to what's yeah. going on. Like a cabin in the woods. Cabin love in the woods, yeah. Dalen Tucker versus evil is hilarious. And I do recommend it. Cabin in the woods gets more scary than Dalen Tucker does. Dalen Tucker is straight up slapstick. Um, and it's Alan Tudyk, who I love. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, why do we need the boogeyman? It's a question you answer. I don't know. Okay. Well, I, do. <laughs> I, I assume you do and would answer your own question. There's that. I will make a note to put rhetorical after each rhetorical. Do that and just, and just leave it hanging. The boogeyman is something to point at and say, that's fear. That's what's causing this feeling. This pressure in my chest, this sense of impending doom, this feeling that death is around the corner, that awfulness that some people are capable of, which can only be processed by othering to the point of labeling them as something non-human. Like I said at the top of the show, I've been having a lot of trouble sleeping lately. But in spite of the daily unknowns that we're all facing these days, I can't recall having a nightmare. And thankfully, it's been years since I've seen the hag, the child, or the smiler. I don't want to jinx myself, but sometimes I wonder if my subconscious hasn't let go of trying to explain away those feelings of dread that creep up. I've seen the boogeyman. 
It shifts and adapts and it's real and always has been. But whether it's in your closet or living next door, don't let the fear consume you. Exuant. Fin. No claps, no claps, no claps, no finger snaps. I worked really hard on this. I saw these donuts in Kroger yesterday and they're like Kroger donuts in the like plastic clamshell case. Like I'm sure they're awful and they're, they're bright pink. They're glazed. So they were not filled with strawberry. They were just like strawberry fake flavor. I want them so badly. I can't express how badly I would like to eat these. They weren't even made with real strawberries. They were made with Bonnie Bell chapstick. I'm fine. I will eat. I eat some Dr. Pepper chips chapstick. Like I did too. I did too. <laughs> Sucked on it like a push pop. <laughs> I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I am not the only one who had their mother angrily take away their Bonnie Bell chapstick because they either A, were putting it on gratuitously in public or B, were putting on so much of it that they dropped it on themselves and ruined their white dress for a very fancy event. Clearly, this is a specific thing that really happened. I just want to say that we have we have definitely come to a place where we have a, a, a consistent style for what this podcast is, podcast is, but the tone ranges wildly from week to week, and I hope that everyone's in, enjoying it. Like You can come and it's like, here's some history facts. Here's some fun oopsie-doopsies and science. Here's murder. And it's like, <laughs> this is by far our darkest episode yet, which is interesting considering that I covered them at Kami Manor. Oh, well, ago. and it's, it's also, it's interesting considering how dark our tastes generally run. <laughs> I will say that the only reason I was able to do as much research as I did into this and watch his house this weekend was because I had a dog with me and there's nothing I was able to sleep with my door open. Cause the dog needed to get me if they needed to pee in the night. But also mm-hmm. like when you have a dire wolf sleeping in your doorway, I fear You're not no, afraid of nothing. I fear no man. <laughs> well, I thought maybe we would take a happier tone next week. Yeah. And talk about some fun stuff like parties. Okay. Like big parties that you have, hopefully only once in your life. And you wear a beautiful white dress and your partner looks beautiful and what they're wearing as well. And everyone celebrates you and you do the electric slide. I was waiting to talk about my quinceanera. (laughs) We're going to talk about weddings, but... We're going to talk about weddings gone awry. Oh, even better. (laughs) Oh, even better. What if I want to talk about weddings that have gone a sourdough? Oh, I would be interested in that. I'm terrified of a sourdough starter though. Like it seems like too much pressure. (laughs) Anyway. Married and it's like, this is my yeast man. (laughs) We have gone just, I've had two sips of wine. I am sorry, everyone. All I right. love this topic. <laughs> I know you did. Well, thank you for sharing. Next week, we will uh, we will come back to you with uh, both of us sharing stories of weddings gone awry. Awry is an underused word. And in the meantime, you can check us out at If These Walls Pod on Instagram to see photos from this week's episode. You can email us at ifthesewallspod at gmail.com if you have topic suggestions. And Audrey, any parting thoughts? 
just that as everyone knows, I've been going on a journey with my shoulders. And even though I took a rest week this week, I'm still very proud of how shapely they are and can't wait for the summer and halter tops. I'm proud of you for taking a few days off. That's Audrey. This is Elena. There's a boogeyman behind Audrey. (laughs) (laughs) As he leaves, don't let the door hit you on the way out, boogeyman. A good night. Stripping. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.